You can meet and hear journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway, LCMS President Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordleone, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, and Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. Don't know much about history. Welcome back to Issues Etc. There's no doubt about it. What I was taught when I was learning things in elementary and junior high and high school, and perhaps even college, is vastly different than what children and young people are learning today. In particular, about the American experiment, the personages of American history. Who were they? I remember being taught that They were flawed individuals. They weren't the plaster statues that you see in the pictures. And sometimes American history isn't even really being taught. Some other history is being substituted for American history. What's the result of this kind of historical ignorance? Joining us to discuss these questions, Tim Gagline. He's vice president of government and external relations at Focus on the Family in Washington, D.C. Formerly served as deputy director for the White House Office of Public Liaison for President George W. Bush. He's author of a new book, Toward a More Perfect Union, The Moral and Cultural Case for Teaching the Great American Story. Tim, welcome back. Todd, it's great to be with you. Thank you. A recent Morning Consult poll found that only 16% of Gen Zers are proud to live in the United States. 36% of millennials are proud to live in the U.S. How do you explain that? Well, Todd, I think that the breakdown in history and uh, civic education is where we ought to start this conversation in light of your great question, because the breakdown is directly tied to many of the ills that we face as a nation today, tied to incivility, bad leaders, cultural decay, cancel culture. But the reason I wrote this book and the heart of toward American education at this moment is a combination of disinformation and propaganda. And I think we have to really look there as the seedbed of so much of the ills that really are animating the problem in American education today. We recently observed Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Did it surprise you to see his views being distorted by some? You know, I'm very sorry to confess to you that I did not find it surprising. It is part of a pattern. Leaders who have been canceled, it's incredible. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, Martin Luther King Jr. It is a stunning moment in American history and in American culture. I was speaking very recently on a campus in Colorado, and one of the professors asked me, Why is there such a deep-seated sense in so much of the rising generation of young Americans rooted in skepticism and cynicism and disbelief? And I went right back to the really golden narrative of my new book, taken, of course, directly, the title of it, uh, from the uh, preamble to the Constitution. We have now lived through really almost uh, 50-plus years of disinformation, of not teaching facts, but opinions. And the ramifications are absolutely enormous. Many Americans fundamentally misunderstand how our government works. 
How did we come to this crisis? I think we came to this crisis because a number of progressives, beginning as early as the 1950s, lapsing into the 60s and 70s, wanted purposely to change the United States of America. And in fact, I think there are two great examples. I deal with both of these examples at length in the book. The first one is a historian who deserves to be much better known. We call him a historian, but only in quotation marks. He was really the opposite of it. He was Howard Zinn, and he is the architect of much of this disinformation. His uh, goal, Todd, was not to teach facts but opinions, <laughs> primarily his own. He was a neo-Marxist, and Howard Zinn said that he wanted to transform American history, and his goal was to denounce Western civilization and essentially to convince uh, students to reject it. He was marred by what he said were the religion of popes, the government of kings, the frenzy of money. His version of history, I think, is now the dominant one taught in our education system, beginning as early as pre-K and going all the way through undergraduate and graduate school in many colleges and universities. And I think that the second answer to your question, Todd, is something called the 1619 Project. I mean, the ultimate goal of cancel culture and items such as the 1619 Project, is to destroy America's foundations through ignorance and disinformation and essentially to, as I say in the book, create an entirely different nation that no longer embodies the principles of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. So I think these trend lines which are predominantly in the progressive far left and neo-Marxism, have come to be the dominant narrative in the overwhelming majority of primary and secondary American education. It's both a history and a culture problem. Is that why some Americans actively despise the founding set of American values? Absolutely, yes. The propaganda has been, unfortunately, spectacularly effective. This dishonest American history, of course, is not the only factor in the way that so many Americans have been encouraged to turn away from our heritage of freedom. But, and this is important, there has been an instrumental, destructive transformation rooted in these really bad ideas. And I think, and I say this in the book, now that we have recognized very broadly, and I think we're living in the midst of a nationwide parental rebellion at every level, I think that now that we have confronted and seen these trend lines and bad ideas, how do we counter them? And I think that that, in large measure, is why I wrote Toward a More Perfect Union. I wanted to help people not just understand what the problem is, but I wanted to devote a good part of the book of showing what some of the solutions are, because the moral and cultural case for teaching the great American story is rooted not in a utopia America, not a perfect America, there's never been one, but this remarkable, incredible country and its history, I mean, the entire history and culture of the country, this rising generation of Americans have been robbed of their own patrimony, and I think rightfully their parents, their grandparents are fed up. 
Is addressing this crisis something that both conservatives and liberals can agree upon? I'm sorry to say that I think that people of goodwill can always agree on a way forward. But so often, when it comes to historical and cultural differences, it can appear sometimes that that chasm is almost unbridgeable. And so, as you know from our wonderful conversations across these years, I remain an inveterate optimist. I am. And there's a lot of hope, truly, in this book. But I'm very sorry to say that so often the neo-Marxism that is the catalyzing effect and the fulcrum for so much of what we're discussing has had far more than a salutary effect. We now have generations of young Americans who are resentful because they have been taught a history that is not their own. And too often, way too often, predictably often, the United States uh, is the monster with the green eyes. And that decidedly is just not the case. How does ignorance regarding American history affect someone's everyday life? I love that question above all, because if, as a young person, you are not taught the liberal arts in a way that recognizes the beautiful, the just, and the true, I think that what happens is your whole broad view, your vantage view of life, your worldview becomes distorted from a very uh, early age. I have uh, quoted at length and studied much of the input of a really good observer, and she is very wise. And she concluded, Todd, that the primary mode of this ideological movement, cancel culture, that we've been discussing is not about building or renewing or reforming, but tearing down. And she makes the point that persuasion is replaced with punishment, and mercy is replaced with vengeance. Pluralism is replaced with conformity and debate with, uh, you know, deplatforming, facts with feelings. I could go on and on, ideas with identity. I mean, she really has captured that the ultimate goal of cancel culture and things like 1619 and the work of Howard Zinn and so many other examples really is to erase memory and to create a new history altogether. And this version of history is now the dominant one, and I think it's the one rooted in this kind of malevolence, malice, and toxicity that I think has done an enormous amount of measurable damage. Tim Gagline is our guest. He's author of the book, Toward a More Perfect Union. We're talking about the crisis of historical ignorance in the United States. We'll talk about a speech given by former U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr in 2019 at Notre Dame and its insights next. Thanks to our beloved on-demand listeners, Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality. You can help us climb the charts by subscribing, rating, and reviewing Issues Etc. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider Hit the subscription button and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for podcast listeners to find issues, etc. Help us cast Christ's net on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review issues, etc. today. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's life ministry is thousands of people sharing Christ's love and mercy and giving witness to our Lord's creation of life, His design for marriage and the family, and the God-given value of all human life from conception to natural death. 
Working with many partners, LCMS Life Ministries sponsors human care efforts that meet the needs of body and soul and provides resources and educational events for all ages. To learn more, email lifeministry at lcms.org and visit lcms.org life. Where Christianity meets culture, you're listening to Issues Etc. Not only does our church need men right now, but the world needs men who will proclaim the gospel in its purity. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Peter Scare, Associate Professor of New Testament at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. If when you go to sleep at night, you're thinking about it, my experience with it is this, is that thought won't go away. So if you're going to bed at night thinking about following our Lord and becoming a preacher of this gospel, then I would love if you could come and visit Fort Wayne, our campus. We'd love to show you around and show you what it is that we do. Have you ever considered becoming a pastor? Contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana at 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or visit ctsfw.edu. Christ-centered, cross-focused, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the crisis of historical ignorance in America with Tim Gagline, a focus on the family. Tim, if you would tell us about a speech that was given by former U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr in 2019 at Notre Dame. What were his insights there? I believe very firmly that the speech by the former Attorney General Bill Barr at Notre Dame was without any equal or peer the single most important speech given during the Trump-Pence administration. That speech was a tour de force, and it deserves to be read for the next 100 years. Because in this speech, Bill Barr, who is a serious Christian, placed the Judeo-Christian tradition and religious liberty and conscience at the absolute center of the founding of the United States of America. He made it very clear that the other side of freedom and the other side of liberty is virtue, moral excellence. And he made it very clear in that speech that if you ultimately erase religious liberty, if you erase conscience, then you end up with a country unlike the United States of America. And I don't mind saying rather dramatically, because I say it in the book, if we lose the Constitution of the United States of America, Todd, we will never get it back. That's how high the stakes are. What has replaced the teaching of U.S. history in many of our schools? Attitude. Bad attitude. A false narrative. Facts that don't hold up. Opinions which are disguised as facts. One of my favorite former U.S. senators was Daniel Patrick Moynihan of New York. And I think he summarized so beautifully a great answer to your observation, Todd. He said, you know, everyone is entitled to his own opinions, but not everyone is entitled to his own facts. And I think that's exactly right. This propaganda that we are discussing, the disinformation that we are discussing, I'm very sorry to confess on this great program, has been spectacularly effective. It's a dishonest telling of the American story. 
It's not the only factor, of course, when it comes to why our freedom and all the, the, the wonderful virtues and beauties of America, it's not the only reason that it's being undermined, but it's a very big part of it. And so now having recognized it and saying for what it is, we need to find a new way forward, a new way to navigate it. And I believe we can do that. I, I'm very hopeful that in the midst of this parental rebellion, people are saying we want something different. So how do we teach American history without whitewashing the sins of the past? I think we have to begin with the fact of something that the great historian Paul Johnson observed. And by the way, I've been a great beneficiary of historians like Paul Johnson, who died just a week ago, the late, great David McCullough, who I was honored to know. Uh, Paul Johnson you said there are no inevitabilities in history. And he said, Todd, that the study of history is a very powerful antidote to arrogance. And I think that that is exactly right. We don't have to get up each day, look at the history of the United States, and say, now we can only focus on the areas where we were as a nation less than perfect in our nation, or to focus on the areas where we were just short of evil. I mean, we have to be comfortable that human nature doesn't change, that even great nations make major mistakes. But I think we have to be honest with ourselves that it's also really okay to focus on the extraordinary chapters of American achievement. And the achievements of this great nation are matchless in many ways in the history of the entire world. So I think we have a moral duty to share that narrative with this generation of young people. I think that's very important. One of those areas of historical ignorance surrounds the Founding Fathers. Thomas Jefferson is a very good example because there's a lot of good and a lot of bad in his story. Tell us his real story. I write about Jefferson. It's hard to believe that a man who is under 40 years old was so extraordinarily gifted as to author the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson wrote one of the most important, not just by American standards, but by world standards, defense of conscience and religious liberty. The founder of one of the most important public universities in the United States, the founder of the University of Virginia. He was an office holder. He was a president of the United States. He was personally chosen by the first president of our country, George Washington, to be in his cabinet. Jefferson is a remarkable figure, and to think that we can only understand Jefferson as a former slaveholder is a really misuse and misappropriation of American history. These are very dangerous and deep waters. Similarly, James Madison, Jefferson's fellow Virginian and very great friend, again, under 40 years old and the primary author of the United States Constitution, a president of the United States, a remarkably gifted statesman. This has happened as well to George Washington, our greatest statesman probably, a great general. And to think that erasure and wokeism and political correctness could be so summarily applied to these great figures of American history and many others, as we've talked about, is really one of the crimes of the kind of wokeism that has been so terribly applied to the questions of American culture and history. There is a better way forward, and I believe that we're going to find it. 
Tim Gagline of Focus on the Family is our guest. The crisis of historical ignorance in America is our topic. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to Issues Etc. Thanks to Philip and Melody in Virginia, Susan and Kelly in Pennsylvania, and David in Texas for registering in the last hour for the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The premier conference for Christian laity is Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. This year's speaking lineup includes Pastor Matt Harrison, Mark and Molly Hemingway, Kyle Mann, Pastor Peter Bender, Archbishop Salvatore Cordeleone, and Pastor Will Whedon. For more information and to register, visit issuesetc.org or give us a call 618-223-8385. Making the case June 16th and 17th in Chicago. When we come back, how do historical revisionists today want to resegregate America? Education and edification. You're listening to Issues Etc. Elective abortion is not and never has been medical care. So wrote Dr. Donna Harrison, a wife, mother of five, and grandmother of ten, and also a pro-life advocate. And she wrote those words in the January issue of The Lutheran Witness, in which we take up the issue of the pro-life movement after the overturning of Roe versus Wade. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the crisis of historical ignorance in America. Tim Gagelin is our guest. Tim, how do historical revisionists today want to resegregate America racially? This is a very important part of my book. The fact that we could ever divide Americans into race, sex, and class, the way that we would ever choose tribalism, uh, is, is, is in total opposition to the American credo, to our American motto, to e pluribus unum, the incredible strides in race relations in the United States, the incredible widening circle of ethnicity in American history, the welcoming nature of American uh, immigration. Really, on this question, Todd, we could spend the next two hours. America is such an extraordinary country in many ways because we have a definable first day of history. We have relatively a short country of great achievement in ways untold that have served the world for freedom and for liberty. And so I think that we do ourselves a great disservice to somehow put a cap on this history and to purposely seek to erase its memory, and to transform the country. And I believe that we are living in a period of time where it's more important than ever to go tell a new generation this story, but also to actively seek a cultural class that can devote part of its vocational and professional life to countering the destructive seedbeds that we have seen. You mentioned earlier Howard Zinn. Who was he, and how did he lead to others like Nicole Hannah-Jones in the 1619 Project. 
Yes, I think it was very important, and I felt duty-bound in Toward a More Perfect Union to devote an entire chapter to Howard Zinn. He is the author of the most widely used American textbooks on history. And if you had to pick one person who should never have been used widely in schools, it is Howard Zinn. This is a terrible irony. Almost single-handedly, he was the architect of so much of the propaganda and anti-American disinformation that came to be understood as history. And as I said a little earlier, he specialized not in teaching fact-based history, but opinion-based history, and it was neo-Marxism. He was very dedicated to transforming the American story. And among other things, I could use many examples, but among many other things that I learned in doing research for my book, I learned about his view of America's view of World War II. And he says that America became involved in World War II to protect, and I'm quoting him, to protect the imperial interests of the United States. I mean, Todd, his version of history, unfortunately, is now the dominant one taught in our education system. And I think among all of the so-called American historians whose work really should never be used again, I would put Howard Zinn first in line. How is the ideological divide today similar to the conditions before the American Civil War? Enormous. And in fact, I think that it's so tempting to say we've never been this divided before. Well, we have been this divided before. And I would actually use the example that you just suggested, and that is the American Civil War. It's hard to believe that there was a time in American history where members of the same family were shooting each other to death in peach orchards in the United States. This kind of Mason-Dixon line division has been sown by so many of the neo-Marxists that we have discovered. And it's one of the reasons that, in addition to Howard Zinn, that I devote a particular amount of time in Toward a More Perfect Union to the 1619 Project, because the goal in the project is to destroy America's foundation, again, to employ Zen-like disinformation and ignorance, and to create an entirely different nation that no longer embodies the principles of the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution. And Todd, and I'm being very specific to your question, the primary author of the 1619 Project Nicole Hannah-Jones, and I'm quoting her now, she said, the fight over the 1619 Project is not about history. That's extraordinary. She says instead, it's about memory. I mean, how telling to get rid of the old memory, the one that is fact-based, and to create a new memory, uh, which is what she seeks to do here and what the far left seeks to do, and I'm sorry to say, with the kind of destructive success that should cause all of us to pause and to work hard to start again. How deep is American ignorance regarding the U.S. Constitution? It's enormous. And in fact, I went into the data sets of reliable studies all across the country. And just one, I could use many examples, but for purposes of our conversation, there was a public high school, very large uh, survey uh, done a number of years ago uh, on the most basic questions that are asked 
when a legal immigrant becomes an American citizen. And so, in other words, public high school students were given the most basic, fundamental American citizenship test. I mean, Todd, I hope you and the listeners are sitting down because the results are so shocking. Only one in four, only one in four could name George Washington as the first president of the United States of America. Less than 10% knew that there are nine justices on the United States Supreme Court. Less than 30% knew that the president heads the executive branch of our government. And you look at empirical data sets over and over and over again, and you realize that the kind of propaganda, disinformation, and the strangulation of American history and culture, that its impact and its erosion are almost beyond belief. What are the goals of this so-called new constitution movement? Yes, we should be very careful when we hear people say that they want to reform the Constitution. What does that mean, reform the Constitution? The Constitution is objectively the most important single Constitution in the history of mankind. It's relatively short, it's crystal clear, crystalline, easy to read, easy to understand. It's been amended very few times, but we have a process believe it or not, a constitutional process to amend our Constitution. So when we hear people talking about reform, we ought to be very, very wary of what they actually mean. If what they actually mean is through the democratic process seeking to amend the Constitution, we should be very wise and smart about what it is that they want to change. But it seems to me that part of the genius of our founders was a federalism to divide our federal power into three branches, to make sure that no branch had more power than the other one, and to be very wary of power to begin with. This is genius, absolute genius, and we ought to be very concerned when we listen to innumerable voices, largely on the far left, saying that we ought to get rid of or reform the Constitution and try again. Ultimately, Todd, this is a very major goal of those who we are talking about today and one of the primary reasons that I wrote the book. Can our schools in academia, can they be reformed? I believe that they can. I believe that restoration, I believe that reform and regeneration is possible. And in fact, there have been observable chapters, some would say hairpin curves in American history, where American public education has been transformed for the better. And I may say, from the beginning, the devotion to the great books, the ongoing conversation, the devotion to the liberal arts, to the humanities. These have been good turns in American history. They've been good turns in American higher education. But the problem is that Zen-like and 1619 Project-like people are very well-funded. They control many, if not most, of our major cultural institutions. And they're very confident because they know that they have a permanent bureaucracy here in Washington and around the country that always gives voice and support to their new view. But that does not negate the fact at all 
that there are millions of people who share our worldview. And as I said earlier, in the midst of a parental rebellion, my sense, and I might say a grandparent rebellion, in the midst of grandparents, parents, families, communities, churches, parishes, waking up to the ramifications of what we are seeing, this is measurable. It's real. And now the largest historic question is, what will we do with it? And I hope that toward a more perfect union is just one tool in the toolbox toward reformation indeed. What can parents do to educate their own children regarding American values and history? That is the most important question. What do we want? What kind of a country do we want 50 and 100 years from now? I think that we must stand up to this lack of teaching and propaganda if we are to preserve the United States. I really believe that. I believe that an informed citizenry equipped with the right facts is what we want. Ronald Reagan sounded the alarm in 1989 And he warned about an informed patriotism being the end goal of what we wanted. And what he said is we've got to do a better job of getting across that America is freedom. That's it. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise. And freedom, the president said, is a rightfully said, is special and it's rare. It's fragile. It needs protection. So it seems to me that Reagan was right on point and is completely applicable today. If we forget what we did, we won't know who we are. And so when the president was warning of an eradication of American memory that could result, he said, in the erosion of the American spirit, I believe that he was looking down the road as a gifted statesman and was looking precisely at the era that we are living in. So in summation, I would say that the battle for the soul of our nation begins squarely in our homes, which will then hopefully transform our schools and restore the proper teaching of American history, culture, and civics. That's the goal, and I believe it begins at the most organic and local level in the United States. Tim Gagline is Vice President of Government and External Relations at Focus on the Family in Washington, D.C. He formerly served as Deputy Director of the White House Office of Public Liaison for President George W. Bush, and he's author of the new book, Toward a More Perfect Union, The Moral and Cultural Case for Teaching the Great American Story. You can purchase this book at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Tim, thanks. A real pleasure, Todd. God bless. When we come back, we conclude our series on marriage enrichment with Pastor David Peterson of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig still further into St. Luke's Gospel with Boy with an Unclean Spirit. Who is the greatest? Samaritans reject Jesus, the cost of following Christ, and sending of the 72. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. 
Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. Essential Exercise for the Christian Mind. You're listening to Issues Etc. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Dr. Russell Dawn, President of Concordia University, Chicago. Indeed, the quest for truth is at the core of a university's purpose. The liberal arts, illuminated by the revealed truths of Scripture, are powerful for equipping students for a life of self-governance. A disciple is one who follows the Master. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? He said that it means to take up one's cross. The cross is thus the symbol of dying for others, of dying to self for the sake of serving others. And a life of service is a life well-lived. Truth. Freedom, vocation, Concordia University, Chicago, cuchicago.edu.